It's Jim. It's the World of Bonds. It's Monday, 20th of February, 2022. This is for professional investors only. Never, ever investment advice. You'll notice the music is back today. I had complaints in the other direction now. People want the music back. The people have spoken. This week, there's going to be music. Secondly, if it sounds today like uh, the episode has been recorded by somebody on Opium, then you'd be right. Uh, I managed to fall off my snowboard on a blue run in the French Alps last week, and the kind French doctor... um, basically insisted I took Victorian era painkillers and gave me a sling as well. They're out of laudanum, so opium was all they had left. So this morning I'm catching up with markets after a week away and feeling sorry for myself. Um, I'm listening to Velvet Underground in the background and the Nico solo album as well, Chelsea Girl, which I recommend. And I'm actually thinking that Velvet Underground might be the greatest band of all time uh, in all respects. That might just be the drugs talking though. What did happen last week? Well, remember transitory, the word that we were using pretty much for, for two years when it proved not that inflation wasn't at all transitory. The idea, of course, was that base effects from high energy prices would roll out, leaving inflation just as a blink caused by the post-COVID reopening story. Um, we know that that's pretty much discredited now and that we've seen inflation go not just in the goods and, you know, the headline bits, energy, food, goods prices. It's kind of transmitted itself into the service sector elements of inflation as, as well. But the term transitory is being used again, uh, but this time it's being used around disinflation transitory disinflation, you know, the, the the kind of fall from above 10% year-on-year inflation levels we've seen in the US, UK and elsewhere might itself be a bit of a head fake and that inflation might make a comeback in a year's time that might be quite powerful. And people have been looking back at previous episodes of inflation and point to the fact that in high inflation, you often get at least a couple of waves of inflation that end up having higher and higher peaks. <laughs> which obviously be pretty bad news for the world and for markets and for consumers and, and everything else if that were to happen again. So the, this is the transitory disinflation argument, the idea that in disinflation itself may be something that's pretty temporary. So the front page of the FT at the weekend was all about the collapse in gas prices in Europe, which is, of course, fantastic, great news for growth in Europe. It's been pretty mild as my uh, I'm blaming my fall uh, last week on the slopes down to a bit of a slushy blue run. Um, it was pretty warm. It was no snow for weeks and um, we were getting up to kind of 10 degrees in, in the afternoon. So, you know, that snow isn't going to last very long. It's been a mild winter in Europe. I think there is a bit of cold weather coming in, a cold front that will hit the kind of eastern Alps over the course of the next couple of days, but generally warm. And that's great news for inflation, great news for growth, for German industry, for European consumers who you know need to heat themselves. <clears throat> um, so, you know, that's all good. But again, this may generate its own base effect. If, if gas prices are incredibly low at the moment, let's think forward to next winter and um, you know, it won't take very much or more disruption in the Ukraine war situation to cause extremely elevated levels of headline inflation again um, in coming months and years as we see month on month growth in inflation or year on year. So the very base effect argument might generate more inflation down the line. 
and those headline rates of inflation themselves feed through into wage expectations that feeds the service sector inflation that we talked about um, and you know and so on and so that tends to be what people are focusing on now rather than getting excited about the the low levels of uh, commodity prices and gas prices at the moment they're looking at the inflation numbers that are coming through anyway and saying well actually this this could be bad news for the future anyway so last week's big data release that I missed while I was away was really the US CPI. Luckily, it wasn't a massive market mover um, for January. It was January's inflation number. Uh, It came in year on year at 6.4%, down from 6.5% the previous month. Uh, And that's a continuing downtrend that we've seen. So month on, you know, every month we've seen a lower year on year number, but it was higher than expected. So forecast was 6.2%. And again, the core at six, sorry, 5.6% was also a bit higher than the market uh, economists had forecasted. Jim Reed of Deutsche Bank pointed out that median CPI, which is the pr- effectively measuring the price of the middle thing, if you ranked all the components of the inflation basket and then measured the price of the middle thing in the inflation basket over time, then that median CPI number is rising at its fastest rate in the 40-year history of that measure. So what does the bond market think about all of this? Well, I think the things to look out for are TIPS, which are Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, and the five-year US TIP break-even rate is back up above 2.5%, so i.e. expecting average inflation over the next five years to be Um, slightly above 2.5% on average over that period and it hasn't been above 2.5% since the start of December last year. 10-year US Treasury bond yields are up as well over last week so we're at 3.81%. Go back to um, the start of February we're at 3.4% so that's some uh, reasonably significant damage done to US Treasury bond markets. The one thing that didn't move as much as you might have thought uh, as it it might is the US dollar. That's been pretty stable over the past couple of weeks, although it did have a bit of a pop-up at the start of February. Um, It was up about 1.5-2% against its major trading partners then, but it's been fairly stable since. The thing that people look at really is about Fed expectations. What's the Federal Reserve going to do? The rhetoric again has been fairly hawkish over the past week about getting to 5% and staying um, at or above 5% seems to be what the communication that they're trying to get out there. WIRP is, of course, the thing that I always look at on Bloomberg. Um, and really, if you went back to um, and, and looked at what the market thinks interest rates, the Fed funds rate will be in the middle of this year, July 2023, um, you can graph that and see that, well, in last August, um, 2022, the market thought that Fed funds in July 2023 would be 3%. Um, from November to February, the market moved upwards, ratcheted up, but pretty stable around the four and three quarters to 5% range. Now, though, we're up at 5.3%. So in the past week, the market has really started pricing in another rate hike from the Fed. Uh, There's still a chance of rates getting back down below 5% by, I guess, this time next year. So the market still holds out some hope that the Fed will start cutting towards the end of 2023. But pretty much uh, the market is talking about higher and longer 
rate hiking cycle. And I think identifying changing narratives in bond markets is an important part of being a bond investor. And I'd say that the current narrative is one of no landing, you know, so hard landing moved to soft landing has led to no landing talk, you know, we're not going to have a recession in the US, which again is counter to what um, yield curves were telling you, and still are telling you uh, heavily inverted yield curves predicting um, a recession, maybe if uh, markets are right and um, the the narrative is right, then we don't get that recession that has been predicted by the yield curve for the very first time. Despite this, you might have thought that credit markets would have been pretty strong over the past week or so. They haven't really been. And if you look at US high yield, um, CDX high yield being a good measure of the credit default swap index for high yield bonds, that's about 40 basis points wider on the month. And we are seeing outflows in terms of the wider market from high yield assets. So if you look at high yield ETFs, they've lost about $11 billion or about 14% of their assets under management so far year to date, which you might think is surprising given the growth outlook has changed quite dramatically um, in the market's view over the past weeks. But I guess it reflects the fact that your risk-free asset has repriced quite dramatically. So, you know, 8% in high yield sounds pretty attractive. And it certainly was when Fed funds were down towards zero. But when you can get 4% or more than 4%, maybe 5% for putting your money in CDs or bank deposits or something like that, then that extra spread, that extra yield you get for taking on risk, doesn't look attractive and one of the charts that's going around quite a lot at the moment is looking at kind of short-term money market yields compared to corporate bond yields and this inversion of the yield curve that we talked about previously means that you you can get almost as much interest or, or even more interest by putting your money in the bank and taking no risk whatsoever you know guaranteed by deposit guarantees in many cases from governments no risk risk-free Uh, You can get more than you get for putting your money into corporate bonds or not quite high yield bonds, but certainly the additional yield pickup from high yield perhaps doesn't look as attractive as as it once did. And that's reflecting some outflows from that asset class as people take chips off the table following what's been a a decent run for credit assets. Right, that's it for today. I'm off to read um, uh, Thomas De Quincey and uh, speak to you later in the week. Bye.